Hear the very word of God. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, I mean, he said to him, excuse me, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on, the mount, on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, That because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May he bless it to hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Mm-mm-mm. For time's sake, I'm going to let you know right ahead of time, you're going to be disappointed if you expect a 20 to 25 dissertation explaining how God hates human sacrifices. If you expected me to run that rabbit trail down, you're going to be disappointed. But if you came here expecting to hear 
the message of Genesis 22, what the Holy Spirit wants to say through this text, I got good news. Because that's what you're going to hear about. You can go to on, online and listen to many sermons that will go down that rabbit trap. You can look at commentaries. We're not going to do that for time's sake. And here's the reason. Let me tell you why we don't have to go down that, that rabbit trail. The reader, as the reader, when we look at this, we already have the answer to the problem in verse 1. What does verse 1 say this is? A test. a test. Right, we're talking about final exams in the back row there. This is a test. So we already know ahead of time God's not going to let them go through it. And we just, we, as the readers, we read the story, we see God stops them. So we know God never has any intention on Abraham sacrificing his son. But here's the thing. Abraham didn't know that. That's exactly the point and why it's a test. Because Abraham had no idea that this was a test. So that's the question. The question is this. How will Abraham respond when God tells him to take, and notice in the text, his only son. Look at the emphasis. The son you love. And then just in case you miss which one that is, God says, Isaac. The son he promised to build a nation out of. What's he going to do when God tells him to sacrifice him on the altar? And here's the big question. And it should be very convicting for us as well. Will he trust in the Lord with all his heart, even when it didn't seem to make sense? Or would he lean on his own understanding and argue with God, or even refuse to do what God says unless God explains himself. Sound familiar? In other words, would he doubt God's ability to do what he said he's going to do? Even if that meant providing in a miraculous way. Like he did before with the birth of Isaac. And that's the question. Would he refuse to do what God told him? Because he simply won't, and here would be the issue, he simply won't trust the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God to keep his promise, even if he had to pull off something incredibly miraculous to do so. So what we have in Genesis 22 is Abraham's final exam in the school of faith. Some of us have been here throughout the whole narrative of Abraham. And we saw his ups and downs. But what we will see this morning is that what we found out earlier, I made the statement a number of sermons back, we're going to find out in this text for sure that it's true, that Abraham primarily, the tenor of his life was, he was a man of faith. Now he had hiccups along the way. And there were certainly embarrassing times where he had to look back and go, please don't show me that in the scrapbook. Can we skip that page? But overall, he was a man who walked with God and who trusted him with great faith by grace. Now, I usually at this point give you the theme and the points of the sermon. This morning, I'm going to give you the points and then I'm going to end with the theme. I'll leave it a little bit in suspense as we walk through the text. But I'm going to give you the three points so you can track with me a little bit. We see three things in this text. First of all, there's a radical request. 
Right? We've already seen that. A radical request. I'm only going to spend a couple moments on that. Secondly, a radical response. When you look at Abraham's response, it should be shocking. Third of all, and, and the last thing we're going to see, is a radical provision. How does God get out of this one, so to speak? So a radical request, a radical response, and a radical provision. Let's look at the radical request. Look at, uh, we'll look at verse 1 again. Sometime later, so this, by this point, um, Isaac's no longer a two, three-year-old. He's a young boy, probably between 10 and 13. We certainly see him talking back and forth with his dad. We see him carrying the load of sticks on his back, so we're not talking toddler. And this is what we read. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to, Ab he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now, Pastor Santos is going to go on a little rant because I listened to tons of sermons on this so I can get up off the couch and walk and work while I listen instead of just keeping my nose in books. But I did that too. And what, what I've discovered is that many expositors, many preachers will talk about how, what, what Abraham must have been thinking. And then they go on for 10, 15 minutes explaining what Abraham was thinking. Now, of course, we don't know that. Because in this text, it doesn't say anything about what he's thinking. We don't know how he felt upon hearing such a radical, uncharacteristic word from God, who he's heard from many times throughout his life, by the way. Some preachers will put it this way. I'm just going to give you the gist of it. This is how they would have Abraham talking to the Lord. But Lord, this is the son you promised to bless us with. The son through whom you, you'd keep your promise to make my descendants more numerous than the stars in the sky. Or the grains of sand on the seashore. The son through whom a nation would come. Through whom all nations would be blessed. That's what you said. A son we waited for 30 years for who was born by your miraculous power. Remember, he laughs. And what rejoicing there was when, we, when he finally came. And Lord, how would you be able to fulfill your word to me then if he dies? And besides, Lord, he's my only son. Remember, Ishmael's gone. Grown up, going in his own way. He's my only son, and as you put it, Lord, the son I love. The son I love so dearly, the apple of my eye. But what's interesting, sounds dramatic, seems to make sense, but the text actually doesn't tell us that, does it? Now, to be sure, Abraham knew very well how radical the request was, humanly speaking. How it would put the promises at risk if he carried through with it. Bless you. But look, that's what made it an extremely excruciating and painful test. How would Abraham respond? That's, that's what 
the writer wants us to think about as he's telling the story. But notice, the text tells us nothing about Abraham questioning God. It's not there. There's nothing about Abraham wrestling with what to do. You don't see it. There's no struggle. It actually tells us the opposite. Think about that. What does the text tell us about Abraham's response? Look at verse 3. What's Abraham's response? Early the next morning, he does what? He sets out for the place God told him about. In other words, if there was ever a time Abraham could have said, you know, I'm not, I'm not in a big rush this morning. I'm having an extra cup of coffee. Maybe I have a couple more pancakes. Um, you know, there's no rush to get this thing done. But that's not what he does, is it? He gets up early. He gets an early start. He gets the, the, the donkey all saddled. He takes a couple servants and he sets out to do exactly what God told him to do, the break of dawn, as it were. So here's the, the incredible thing. There's no stalling. There's no debating. There's no questioning. There's just what? Think about this. Action. There's just obedience. Doesn't tell us anything about his inner world right now. It just shows us his actions. And that's the second thing. See, I told you the first point would be short. There was a radical request, but look at the radical response. And I just mentioned it in verses 3 to 5. There's no hesitation. There's no deliberation. There's just prompt obedience. Now, this, it, you have to see how truly remarkable this is. Now, some people would say, again, I'm going to do a little, little preaching here. Some say, Abraham had blind faith. Or they would say, he took a leap in the dark. I love that one too, by the way, being sarcastic. And sometimes they will say, it was an irrational faith. But those of us who have been tracking with Abraham ever since he was called to leave his homeland to go to a place that God would show him know that it's nothing of the sort. That it's actually the most rational decision he could have made. Why? Because Abraham's incredible faith was based solidly on an even more incredible God who has shown himself again and again to Abraham as the God who always keeps his promises, even if he has to perform a miracle to do so. Look, just a couple quick examples. God tells Abraham he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. What happens? Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed. God tells Abraham he'll give him a son. Now, and he tells him he'll give him a son through Sarah. Now, it took some time. Abraham had some struggles and did a couple of things that weren't so smart or trusting along the way. I told you there was definitely some hiccups. But 30 years later and many tears later, with struggles and doubt, trying to take matters in his own hands, boom, God comes through miraculously. You got a dead womb that comes alive and a little baby. And here you have a 90-year-old woman with wrinkles in the maternity ward. Pretty interesting sight. So here's the issue. God's track record is what? When we talk about batting a thousand, it's a thousand. He has kept all his promises to Abraham. He has been faithful, faithful again and again. Even when Abraham messes up, God continues to, be faith, continues to be faithful. When Abraham, out of fear, tries to pass his wife off as his sister, God is still faithful. Amen? 
He is, without a doubt, the poster child for the truth of these words that King Solomon would later pen in Proverbs. You remember the verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not what? On your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he's going to do what? He's going to make your path straight. See, Abraham basically said, as it were, through his actions, not this time. I'm not going to blow this test. I'm not going to try to figure it all out with my own reasoning. I'm not, trying to, I'm not going to try to reconcile God's two clear words to me. Sound familiar? You ever look at the Bible sometimes? Say, how do these things reconcile? And you try to rack your brain? No, this time Abraham says, you know what? If God's telling me to do this, that's his business how he's going to work it out. And that's totally rational, brothers and sisters. Because God is the all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful, all-good, all-loving, all-holy God. And remember, be still. God will fight your battles. And it's, that's why Jesus says, unless you become like this little child, what does he say? You can't enter the kingdom. You've got to have that kind of trust that your parent knows and loves you. We'll talk about that in a moment as an illustration. See, this is what we would want to say, and I know it because I've seen it in my own life. Here's what we want to say. Lord, bless me, and then I'll trust you. How about that? In other words, show me how it's all going to work out, and then I'll do what you say. But God says the opposite. He says, no, actually, it's going to work like this, Santo. Trust me, and I'll bless you. Trust me, and then I'll show you how it's going to work out. Think about later on when they, in the time of Joshua, when they had to carry the, the Ark of the Covenant across the river. He says, have the priests grab each side of the pole, and as soon as they hit their foot in the water, I'll open the water. <laughs> so in other words, what? They had to, by faith, step in water that they would sink in if God didn't do something. Right? Well, we see even before that, we see earlier in the father of all who will believe, Abraham. Now look, remember earlier I said the text doesn't tell us what Abraham was thinking, right? Well, there is actually one small but significant clue to what he was thinking, and it's in verse 5. It's my wife, I even heard my wife do a little huh when we read it. It's in verse 5. He tells his servants this, we will worship, and then notice something. We will come back to you. What's Abraham saying? Abraham is confident. No, Isaac will be with me when I return after the sacrifice. So he firmly believed that they would both be back safe and sound after he obeys God's word to sacrifice Isaac. Now, how could he have thought that in his mind? For the answer to that, we have to turn to Hebrews 11. Some of you, I hope, knew I was going there. Hebrews 11 Verses 17 to 19, it clues us in so there is no mystery. This is what we hear from the word of God. By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Look at verse 19. Abraham reasoned. 
that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. So actually, we do know what he was thinking. And it makes absolute sense. Because listen, this is so important to see this. Abraham knew the God he walked with as the God of the resurrection. He witnessed God bring Sarah's womb back to life. A womb that was dried up and dead back to life. And so he saw the miraculous work of God in giving him the son. So he thought, well, God, you're going to have to do it again. If this is what you really want me to do, then you're going to have to raise him up from the dead because you promised it would be through him. Not through another one, not through another miraculous birth. It's going to be through Isaac that my offspring will be reckoned. And you know what he thought? He, and this is what he thought in his mind? God would raise someone from the dead before he'd go back on what he promised. And of course he has, hasn't he? But we get ahead of the game. That, my brothers and sisters, is faith in all its glory. When you, when you have a clear word from God, no matter how hard it is to understand, no matter how hard it is to understand God's ways and works, you simply, as the old song puts it, trust and what? And obey. I'm going to quote from that uh, hymn real quick. But we can never prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. Sound familiar? For the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for those who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So the promised son, the son he loves, is tied up on the wood on the altar. Abraham brings the knife up. He's about to show his faith by obeying the word of the Lord when suddenly from heaven we know he hears this. Abraham, Abraham. Just like the beginning, remember? Here I am, like when God first spoke to him in this incident. He replied, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Now, we all know, looking at this, God already knew because God's omniscient. He knows all things. So what does God mean when he says here, for now I know? Well, listen. Very often in the Bible, God speaks anthropomorphically. I can't believe I pronounced that correctly. No, come on. I just did it so good. I was like, I said it anthropomorphically, which means, I did it again, which means it's from the word anthros, which is man. It means he speaks as in human language, in a way that, in other words, how could an infinite, almighty, omniscient, all-present God communicate with infinite, I mean, excuse me, with finite human beings? He has to speak according to our language. And what God is saying is, now there's proof for sure that you trust me. Why? What's proof, and here's James gets into this really big in his letter, what's proof that we have saving faith in Christ? Our works. We're not saved by works. But if we're saved by Jesus because we trust in him, works will come, period. You know, I use this illustration with children, and then we'll get on to the third and last point. Um, from time to time, when I have a group of kids and I'm, I'm asked to speak, and if we're talking about faith in particular, I'll say, who here trusts me? And I love kids, right? They're all their hands, oh, oh, oh. And I'm like, 
So I'll pick, usually I'll pick a child that I don't know super well, like right? I'm not going to do with my son or something. And I say, okay, come on up. And then I'll say, okay, stand in front of me. And I'll stand pretty far behind him. And I say, okay, just fall, free fall into my arms. And you know what they do, right? They go a little bit of the way, then what happens? The one leg, they prop themselves up with the one leg because they won't let go. And then usually I'll, I'll hey, give them a hand. They did a good job. But then I'll, I'll pick someone, a kid who knows me better. And most of the time I think this works. And I'll do the same thing. And what does that child do? Guess what? Let's it all fly. And absolutely, I start where oh, I hope I catch this kid. And falls completely with abandon. And then I catch him. And then I say to the kids, which child really trusted me? It was the one who fell into my arms. The one who did what I said, even though it was a little bit crazy. Even though it could have went pretty, pretty badly. Because why? They trusted me. And because they knew me. Most of the cases, it was a kid that knew me somewhat. If not, I would, when my son was little, I kind of cheated and picked him because I knew he would hopefully trust me, but he didn't. That's what we have here. Now I know you fear me. And by the way, in the Old Testament, to fear God, which is the beginning of wisdom, connotes not absolute terror, but it connotes the idea of reverence, awe, and trust. So to be a God-fearer, to fear the Lord, is there's trust there, there's reverence, there's respect. That's what's going on here. Abraham trusts in God's character and his person so deeply that he would have done the deed if God did not intervene. So last thing we're going to see, most importantly, is a radical provision. And now I'm going to tell you, this is the real punchline of the passage. It's not Abraham's faith, believe it or not. Because it's not really Abraham or his great faith that's at the heart of the story. It's the object of Abraham's faith that's on display in all its glory for all to see that takes the center stage here. And who, what, what's at the center here? The God who provides the sacrifice in his people's place. That's at the heart of this passage. Now notice the repetition. That's how you know sometimes when you're, when you're doing some exposition of a text, trying to interpret it. Notice if there's any repetition in the narrative. And here we do have that. Verse 8, what does Abraham say? God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. Did you notice that? Then look at verses 13 to 14. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as an offering instead of his son and then notice so Abraham called that place what the Lord will provide and to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord what it will be provided see here's the thing that's important because we get confused ourselves on this and I remember in my Christian life sometimes getting a little snagged on this Abraham did not believe in his own faith. You with me? He didn't believe his deeds would provide for his sins either. He trusted in who? This is the Hebrew, Jehovah Jireh, our provider. The Lord will provide the lamb for the sacrifice. So Abraham knew if 
his sins were going to be taken care of, if Isaac's sins were going to be taken care of, if God, the rest of God's people's sins were going to be taken care of, guess who had to provide it? God. It couldn't be him. Now, we often forget this. Hang on me just a few more moments, because this is really good stuff. We often forget who was the original readers for the book of Genesis. Who did Moses originally write Genesis for? Wow, we are in Genesis 22, and we haven't really thought too much about that. Guess who? The Israelites. And this was written to Israelites after the Exodus, after the, temp the tabernacle sacrifices. So they would look back, and they would have tons of aha moments. Ram, in the place of Isaac, where we see that? Guess where? The temple. Guess where else? The Passover. Remember where the blood goes on the door? And whenever the lamb's blood was on the door, the angel of death passed over the firstborn and they lived? See, I, I tried to get a good example. I was going to use Star Wars, but I, I hate the prequels. Oh my goodness, they were so goofy. But you had the first three classic Star Wars. Remember them? And then they, then, they re, then they wrote the prequel, which meant how these people became who they were, right? So I'm not going to go there. I'm going to go to the better one, The Lion, the Witch, the Wardrobe. That was written. That was the first book that C.S. Lewis wrote, by the way, The Lion, the Witch, the Wardrobe. Then came Prince Caspian and Prince Caspian and the Dawn Treader. Then after, listen, this is important. Then after he wrote the book, The Magician's Nephew, which was supposed to be about the beginnings of Narnia and how it all began. And, and when you read that book, if you already read the, read the line, The Witch, the Wardrobe, you, as you read it, you go, aha, that's why the wardrobe was magical, because it was taken from the magical tree. Now it makes sense. Or you say, ah, that's how a lamppost from, from uh, our world got into Narnia. It was the white witch. When she was here on earth, she grabbed the lamppost and threw it. And it went to, anyway, you make those connections. Are you with me? Because you read the prequel. So, Genesis is the prequel. And the Israelites were meant to understand that sacrifice on behalf of another was always God's plan. It didn't come with the giving of the law. It didn't come with Moses. It didn't even come with the New Testament. It started here and pointed ahead to the ultimate sacrifice. Now listen, you, may, you would miss this if you didn't study. I missed it myself without studying. Where is Mount Moriah? You know where it is? Jerusalem. Where in Jerusalem? Now this is going to really excite you. Where they built the temple. So this sacrifice was given where God's people gave all the sacrifices, and now you're going to get a real tingle up, up your spine. Guess what was right next to Mount Moriah? The Hill of the Skull, Mount Calvary. That's where our Lord was crucified, right on this spot. <laughs> you think God's trying to tell us something? John the Baptist, when... The beginning of Jesus' ministry points Jesus out. And how does he identify Jesus? What does he call him? Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
Now, did you ever notice in the text, I've, I've, I've tried to show you how this is repeated over and over again. Abraham, your son, your only son, the son whom you love. Does that sound familiar? Matthew 3, 16 to 17. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave who? His one and only son. One more, um, Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Just like the ram in the story, Jesus was sacrificed, here's the key, in our, our place. There it is in black and white, the very first foundational book in the Old Testament scriptures. We have substitutionary atonement. Now listen. In the New Testament, John chapter 8, Jesus makes an incredibly powerful, interesting statement. He says, Abraham saw my day and was glad. Where in Genesis so far could we find that Abraham saw the day of Jesus? I submit to you, it's right here. It says Abraham looked up, and what did he see? He saw a ram in the thicket. And you think Abraham was glad? <laughs> because it meant his life, the life of his son was saved. I think he was real glad. Family devotions, Martin Luther once read this very account in Genesis 22 to his wife. And his wife said this, I don't believe it. God would never have treated his son like that. But Katie, Luther replied, he did. On the cross, there was no angel stopping the crucifixion. There was no intervention, divine intervention. On the cross, God gave up his son, his only son, the son he loves, in your place, in my place, in Abraham's place, in Isaac's place, in everyone's place who put their faith in the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So I'm going to close the way I usually open, with the theme. There's more to be said, but time's run out. Um, this is the theme. The father of all who believe expresses his genuine faith in the Lord who provides the sacrificial lamb in our place. And then, if we are his spiritual children, so will we. I'm going to read that one more time. The father of all who believe expresses his genuine faith in the Lord who provides that sacrificial lamb in our place. And if we are his spiritual children, so will we. We will trust in the Lord with all our hearts and not lean on our own understanding. We will believe that 2,000 years ago, another person's death was sufficient to cover our sins, our crimes, before a holy God. And we will display that faith by doing what God calls us to do in his word. Even when we say, but, but, 
No but. We will be blessed when we trust the Lord. Let's pray. Father, forgive my inadequacy in preaching this incredible text. But how we thank you that we're going to celebrate that in just a moment. That you will provide. And we know you have provided. Through your son, your only son, the son you love. He's our only hope. He's the only hope of the world. And if we believe that, Lord, then we need to tell others. Yes, in action, but yes, in word. So, Father, enable us to show that we trust you by doing what you say in your word, by trusting you enough, whether or not we can reconcile in our minds all the details. We'll leave it to you. You have the perfect track record. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.